Hi, I'm Daniela Stockflet Menis. Welcome to my podcast because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect, and relate because everyone has a story. Today's guest is Anne Marie McKenzie, a strong, resilient, and driven woman. A sales proclaimed kind of a big deal. I love that statement. It is fun and contagious. During her story, she had me switching between tears, laughter, and wonder. She touched on so many rough points of her life. Anne Marie offered many insightful nuggets. From her premenstrual dysphoric disorder, aka PMDD, a condition more severe than PMS, to her bounce back after the loss of her mother, all her challenges were possible to bear with her women's circle and all the techniques she unwaveringly used to become who she is right now, a woman that kicks ass in a way that doesn't lead to burnout. Kind of a big deal. Enjoy it. Anne-Marie, I am so excited that you're here today. Thank you so much for being my guest. My honor. Thank you for having me. Well, how do we know each other? What I remember is that we both work at Big Brothers. You were in Squamish. I was in Vancouver. Every time I had the opportunity to see you, I was always so excited. Oh my gosh, she's so smart. She's so kind. She knows so much. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was definitely a positive working relationship. And I always enjoyed people like yourself who brought that enthusiasm and that positivity into the work that we did just to be of service to the world in that way, like what, what an, what an honor that was as well, right. To provide mentors for children who need it. That's true. That's true. It was a good place. How is it that you thought about bringing the story? Yes. I love opportunities to share stories. I'm a storyteller, I guess by trade, I would say when I saw one of your podcasts on LinkedIn, because of who you are, I wanted to spend time with you. So I used it as an excuse for us to connect again. And then also uh, to share my story in hopes that somebody is going through something that's tough and dark and challenging, that it will give them maybe some tools and some insight to make changes in their life, to be able to move in a direction that feels really good for them. We need more people to be authentic. And I love that about you. So I appreciate that you're here. Your story, how, how does it start? Well, I chose this story because it's a Kairos moment in my life. So one of those pivotal moments in our lives when an event happens that we have no control over, It really was my reaction, how I chose to deal with a situation that helped me determine a positive outcome instead of a negative outcome. I want to share about a time in my life where I suffered from extreme anxiety and depression. I was in a very dark place in my life. I needed to make some changes. I had an incredible job at the time. I had an amazing team to work with. I was in a very positive, healthy relationship, but something was off. Something was missing. Something wasn't right. And, and I knew I needed to make changes, but I didn't know what and I didn't know how. And even though I loved what it was that I did, I had this inkling that it was my job that I actually needed to step away But through this depression and through this anxiety, had difficulty putting one foot 
in front of the other. I had received a package from my mother. I live in Vancouver, BC, and my mother at the time was living in New Brunswick, and she had sent me this care package. And one of the things she sent me was Jim Carrey's movie Yes Man. Have you seen that before? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and I just, I just love Jim Carrey. I love, I love his vibe. I love his messages. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to start saying yes to things to get myself out of this funk. Okay. So here we are, like seven, eight years later. I know now that my anxiety and depression is from something called PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So luckily, I've been able to uncover that. But back then, I didn't know where it was coming from. I ran into a friend, Annika, on the streets in Squamish, BC. And she said, hey, Annie, it's great to see you. I'm wondering if you want to. And I just said, yes. And she's like, I haven't even told you what it is yet that I want to invite you to. But Annika was that woman that she always had feel good stuff. Like she was always inviting high powered women over for like a soup exchange or to do vision boards or for a book club. So I knew it was going to be something that would fuel my soul that would feel really good. So I said yes. And then she told me it was to see her two favorite authors, which were Danielle Laporte and Gabrielle Bernstein. I never heard of them before. And Danielle, she's a Vancouverite. She lives here in our community. We actually grew up about 45 minutes away from each other in Southern Ontario. So I went to this feel good event. At the time, I didn't really resonate with Gabby Bernstein. She was a recovering addict. She was into transcendental meditation. I wasn't a meditator at the time. I felt like I couldn't do it. My mind was too busy. But here was Danielle Laporte. She was on it. She said, sometimes I smoke and sometimes I drink. And it just felt more real to me. And I resonated more. And on that stage that day, she said this one powerful statement that changed the course of my life. What you say no to is just as important as what you say yes to. Uh -huh. How were you before? Did you used to say more no's and that's why your mom sent you that movie? I was an overachiever. I was an A-type. You probably remember that from our work together at Big Brothers. I was that person that said, I'm going to host a brand new fundraiser and I'm going to raise $5,000. But then the first year I raised $22,000 and then the second year I raised thirty. So that was my typical MO. Like I would say yes to everything. But when I was in those depressive states, I couldn't say yes to anything. I just spent time alone at home in bed uh, watching TV. That's probably <laughs> why my mom sent me some movies and said, come on, girl, get back to you. Get back to being yourself and start to say yes to some things because the world needs you. When I heard that statement, it was such a relief because I was exhausted, really, from saying yes all the time. Mm -hmm. And it made me examine what I was saying yes to, what was lighting me up, what wasn't lighting me up, really gave me that kick in the pants that I needed to start to set some boundaries and to start, I call it now a stop doing list. Like there are things that we need to stop doing before we keep adding more things onto our plate. It could be drinking less wine. It could be binging on Netflix. It could be texting during your workday. Like there's all of these things that just don't improve our well-being. They actually take away from it. So what we say no to is just as important as what we say yes to. Now, I haven't had 
an amazing relationship with my mom. Uh, we experienced a lot of loss in our lives growing up and it really took its toll on my mother. And by the time I was a teenager, we had a very toxic and a very unhealthy relationship and we just couldn't turn it around. And I believe now it was because of our lack of emotional intelligence. I think her and I both were people that feel really big and, and we feel other people's feelings as well. Like we both wear our heart on our sleeves and have big hearts. My mom was a single mom with two kids. She often had three jobs at a time, but she was always giving. She was that kind of person that if it was the last shirt on her back, she would give it to somebody else. So we had a lot of these great qualities, but for some reason, we just had this terrible, awful relationship. And so when I heard that statement, one of the things that I said no to was my mother. She had called me one day. It was a Friday. She had had a couple drinks with friends after work. And I had asked her not to contact me when she had been drinking because it set me off and it would push me to behave in a way that I didn't want to. I was not the best version of myself and neither was she when she was drinking. And we had this white hot argument, our biggest one yet. It ended with me saying, don't ever talk to me again. And as much as it broke my heart to do that, I knew that I wasn't saying no to my mother, but I was just saying no to the relationship that we had. She deserved better and I deserved better. And I didn't know at the time any other way to go about it. And so for eight months, we didn't speak to each other. And I continued doing this work. And through all of that work, uh, Mother's Day was fast approaching. And my partner at the time said, call your mother. And I'm stubborn sometimes. I chose to contact her on Mother's Day. From that point forward, we never spoke about the time that we didn't talk. Without having a conversation about it, we both moved forward together with more kindness with more compassion, with more unconditional love. So we, we stopped judging each other. We stopped punishing each other for the past. And we just chose to move forward together in a way that, that felt really good. That is beautiful how both of you choose to deal with the situation. And you continue doing more work with Daniel? After that event, we got Gabby Bernstein's May Cause Miracles, a 30-day guide to subtle shifts and changes. And a group of women and I would gather on a weekly basis and we would go through this process. Now, we did it probably in like 92 days, not 30 days. But we asked ourselves these difficult questions that we never had before in our lives. We showed up with an open heart with an open mind. We showed up with the courage to be vulnerable with each other. And we started to have these real, authentic, conscious conversations with ourselves and with each other about our lives and how we were choosing to live our lives and the vision that we had for ourselves and how we wished our lives were. That's the most important part, that you just don't go to a course or a lecture or mm -hmm. read a book, but that you actually continue the work with people that are like-minded so they can help each other. And you're mm -hmm. very lucky for that. It is about the integration. That's the part that's typically missing. I've built a business and the reason that I've stayed away so far from like evergreen courses is because people miss out on the integration piece. It We learn so much more when we do the work together. Our ego gets set aside 
and then our soul and our heart and our spirit will show up more. And that's how we deepen that process. That's how we start to integrate it into our lives by having those conscious conversations, by having those shared experiences with each other, because we have so much to learn from each other, right? It's been a life changer for me to be able to access these pockets of people and move forward. And if I didn't do something like that, I wouldn't have been able to go through the next part of my story because I needed so many people to hold space for me so I could go through one of the most difficult parts of my life. That's part of what I mentioned before in some other podcasts, your wellness team, where you have a group of people that not only help you as a naturopath or doctors, or but also like having a group of friends that, that will support you to help you get better and to grow. Mm-hmm. So you connected with your mom again. I remember I was at work. I took my team out for dinner and I got a, a text message from my mom and my mom never texted me. I just immediately got this feeling in the pit of my stomach that something was wrong. And she just said, Hey, sweetie, can you call me when you're done work? Contacted her and she said, Oh, are you done work? I said, No, I'm out with my staff, but I have time for you. What's up? There was this awkward silence. I immediately knew that something was really wrong. And that's when she said, Annie, I have cancer. There was this flash that came through my memory when she said that. When I was a little girl, I had a reoccurring dream that my mother fell. My mother and I were traveling and we were on a cruise ship together and she fell off the cruise ship into the water and she was surrounded by sharks and I was yelling and I was throwing a life, life boys and I was trying to get people to help, but anything and everything that we did just wouldn't help her. Nothing could save her. And this memory flashed and I'm somebody who has prophetic dreams. Like I'll have a dream and then it'll actually happen. Uh, I blocked the gift for quite a while because it can be scary, especially when, when you've been given flashes of something that's going to be a tragedy and you have no way of preventing it. So I was very scared of this gift for a long time. So I blocked it. But when this memory came up, I embraced it and I accepted Mm -hmm. that I'm being reminded of this because the cancer represents the sharks. And I needed to know in that moment that I wasn't going to be able to save her, that the most important thing would be for me to drop everything and to go and be there with her. And so that's what I did because I didn't know at the time that in Canada, our government will support us if we are supporting a loved one who is sick or ill. I went to my doctor instead and I just said, the stress of this, I can't handle taking care of her and being able to go to work. And so I had part of my wellness support team. I have an incredible one. But I was very fortunate to have this doctor that said, I will do anything to support you in this. And I feel that you're doing the right thing. I would fly to New Brunswick for two to three weeks at a time and take care of my mother. I would arrange for a couple days before I'm going to leave. Then an aunt would come or a grandparent would come and we would have a few days together. And then I would come back to BC for a week or two, rest, recharge, and then go back and relieve a family member and take care of my mom again. Now, what was happening as all of this was occurring was a major awakening within myself. So 
not only had I started to embrace the fact that I have to say no to some things in order to make space to say yes, but I had started to understand through Daniela Port's work through the Desire Map, which is her best-selling book, that we have the ability to feel how it is that we want to feel in any given moment. Now, for myself growing up, and for many people can probably relate to this, that when we were growing up, feelings weren't a high priority in our education system. They weren't a high priority in our family. And they certainly were not a high priority in a business world. As a young girl, it was, you know, put your big girl pants on, big girls don't cry. And for the young boys, they had it worse. Boys were looked as weak if they showed a lot of emotion. And they were also told, just put your big boy pants on, right? So we literally were trained to stuff and suppress our emotions and to not feel what it is that we are meant to feel. So that was issue number one. Number two, we definitely weren't taught that we have this capacity to choose how we want to feel. And so I took this opportunity to really dive into the desire map work. And I came up with a set of core feelings that were going to be the guidance system and the compass for my decisions going through this major tragedy. And because I chose words like joy and gratitude and unconditional love, the ripple effect of that was conscious conversations with my family. My grandparents and all of their children, they have a very strong work ethic, which I admire, and that's who I got it from. I wouldn't change that for the world. But they have a tendency to stay in the masculine, to constantly do and be action-oriented, rather than sit in the feminine and give space for our feelings to flow, to feel our feelings. I sat them down and I said, this is going to be a tough few months. I always was open and honest with them and told them we're going to lose her. And they sometimes would say, Annie, don't be so negative. Like you just never know. And it was difficult for them to understand where I was coming from. I wasn't being a pessimist. I wasn't being negative. I was being a realist. And I knew I have, like I said, I have these superpowers. I'm claircognizant. I'm clairsentient. I'm clairaudient. Like I get all these messages from source, the universe, God, goddess, whatever you want to call it, my intuition, my higher self. And so I just knew, and I always came from that place. And so it allowed me the strength and the courage to have conversations with my family and say, let me take care of myself how I need to during these times. Please don't show up every day with a to-do list of things that you want me to do. If you need help, if you want me to carry the vacuum up to the top of the stairs, absolutely. If you feel the need to wash the walls, I will move the ladder or hold it for you. It, it wasn't about me not wanting to help. If you wanted me to go get groceries, for absolutely, I will go and do that, right? I was there to care for my, for my grandparents as well and make sure that they didn't burn out or, or my aunts that were coming to help. But I said, these aren't going to be my priority. My priority is going to be listening to music. So if I'm at my computer and I have my earphones in and I'm typing, this isn't me being rude. This isn't me ignoring you or ignoring the situation. This is me processing. This is me feeling my feelings because 
at the end of this experience, I knew there was going to be a tremendous amount of grief. I've experienced loss before. I've experienced great loss. I've lost one of the loves of my life. I've lost my mother's soulmate who was a father figure to me who loved me unconditionally. I had lost pets. I can go on and on with the amount of people that I'd lost. I knew the grief that was going to come. I didn't want it to take over my life. So I knew the importance of feeling it right then and there. I told them, you might think I'm a weirdo and that I've lost my rocker when you see me wearing barely any clothes, <laughs> laying on the grass or doing yoga, or maybe I'm hiding up in a tree or maybe I'm hugging a tree. These are all things that I'm doing to stay grounded. You were all living in the same house? Yeah, my mother had this beautiful farmhouse in New Brunswick just beside a golf course. And one of her dreams was to retire and then turn it into a bed and breakfast. So her and her husband lived there and it was a five bedroom farmhouse. It was quite perfect to have this ability for all of us to show up and be able to care for her, but also have our own bedrooms at the same time. Yeah. Your grandparents, instead of being there and keep her company, they, they wanted to do things around the place. Is that the way they wanted to help? Yeah, my whole family is like that. I remember one of my aunts showing up. I was like, oh no, she's going to start telling me what to do. And this is going to be a problem. She missed my big speech about don't tell me what to do. It was basically, that was the premise of it. I'm like, if you need help, please ask. I will definitely be there for you, but don't tell me what to do because Here's this event that's happening that we have no control over, but I'm starting to learn and realize that how I react to it is what's going to determine my outcome. And I want this to be a positive outcome, even though I know I'm going to lose my mother, even though she is going to die in some way, shape or form, I have to have this turn out as a positive outcome because there has been so many events that I have no control over in my life. I had no idea how to deal with them. And I reacted in ways that were harmful to myself. They were harmful to the people that loved me. And I suffered from it for many, many years. And I do believe that was a contributing factor to my depression and to my anxiety. And I do believe it's a contributing factor to my PMDD diagnosis that I have traumas, um, past traumas that are still needing to be healed. And I also have traumas from the seven generations before us. Science has proven that we carry the DNA of seven generations. And we also carry the DNA of the traumas of seven generations. So anything that we haven't healed, it can still show up. So it's kind of a joke sometimes. You have to make light of it. You have to bring in humor into life. When something really bad is happening, I'll stand up, I'll go, thanks a lot, great, 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 great <laughs> grandma. <laughs> this must be your fault. This cannot possibly be my fault. Right? But you know, this aunt would show up and she started bossing and like, Oh, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. She missed my big speech. But for the most part, together as a family, we rallied, we had schedules, we mapped everything out, we ensured that there was always good food, that there was a flow of friends that was coming to visit my mom, and that she was being taken care of and that she was loved to the highest level possible as she went through this. Within five months, we lost her. So it was a lot quicker than we thought. Yeah. That's so hard. Until now, you have learned that saying no is as important as saying yes. You have had your circle of support and you 
had the opportunity to express your feelings with your family. Mm-hmm. Each day, what I would do with that, I would wake up and I remember I would look at my mother and I would say to myself, what can I do today to experience joy, to experience unconditional love, to experience gratitude, to feel grounded? We don't have the right or the ability to say, you need to do this for me so that way I feel how I want to feel. It doesn't work that way. But there is a giving and receiving, right? It's the law of polarity, which is a universal law. We live in a dichotomous world. The messages that we are radiating, the vibrations that we are sending out into the universe. Now, remember, everything is an energy. Everything is a frequency, especially our feelings and emotions. And they come from the space of our heart. The heart has its own intelligence. It has 40,000 neurotransmitters that are separate than that of the brain. The heart feels separate from the brain. The heart has its own memories and it has an electromagnetic field that is 5,000 times stronger than that of our thoughts and our minds. So when we come from this powerful place of choosing how it is that we want to feel and then making choices to feel that way, that's what we're emanating out into the universe. So what it meant for me was, what can I do today to help my mother feel joy, to help my mother feel grateful, to help my mother feel grounded, to help my grandparents feel love, to have my aunt feel safe and secure. So it was about the choices that I was making and sending those feelings to them. Doing this in a way that puts my own personal self-care front and center. Now, another thing that we're taught is that selfishness is a bad thing. And that is one of the key messages I want to share today as well, that it is not a bad thing. It's actually inevitable. Because if we want to live a life of servitude, meaning being of service to others rather than service to self, we have to take care of ourselves first because we cannot give from an empty cup. And that's why I would wake up, I would listen to music. Oh gosh, what an easy free way to get into a good vibration, to listen to music. Sometimes I would dance. Sometimes I would listen to music and I would journal about what was happening to my mother and what was happening to me. Then I would go outside. I would do yoga, bare feet on the grass. I would earth. I would get grounded. I made sure that I was eating nourishing foods. There was a lot of people that would show up with casseroles and cakes and pies. I would make sure that I was eating a lot of greens and eating a lot of raw, real foods, lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of glasses of water. I would go for walks every single day and connect with Mother Earth, connect with Mother Nature. And through those walks, that's where I would get most of my messages that I was on path that the universe had my back. I would see butterflies <laughs> everywhere if they would surround me and butterflies represent transformation and change. But I'm sure it wasn't easy, Anne-Marie. No, it was still wasn't easy. I mean, I did all of this and I literally cried every single day, maybe multiple times a day. That was part of my self-care. She had a beautiful bathroom, massive bathroom and a jacuzzi tub. And I would either gift my time to myself in the tub or in the shower and I would sob. And I would do this away from my family 
because it would trigger them and it would make them upset. And I wouldn't want to do that. In hindsight, I think that's something I wish I would have done differently was had sessions where we cried more together and held space for each other. I don't want to paint a picture that everything was perfect with my mother and I from that moment on. It was not. There were times where my mom was extremely triggered. She was angry. She was pissed off that this was happening to her. The doctors didn't identify it early enough. She had pain for many years and she was told it was osteoporosis. She was told that she's getting old and basically to suck it up buttercup, that this is life. Meanwhile, it was a tumor growing in her kidney. There was no tests that were, do- that were done. My family, a long, long time ago, and <laughs> many moons ago in another lifetime, uh, we were tobacco farmers in southern Ontario. And so smoking was normal. Everybody smoked. My mother was a smoker. My mother worked in fields. We worked on the farms. And tobacco is a very chemical-laced industry. There were also times when she worked in factories, which are not good for your health. So here's all of these breadcrumbs that should have led to this natural conclusion. Wow, there's a lot of indicators in this woman's life that could potentially lead to cancer. Maybe we should test for that. They didn't. That is terrible. It wasn't until she showed up in the ER bleeding in places that she shouldn't that somebody finally said, whoa, something is really not right. And by then it was too late. I had my own anger. I felt ripped off that I finally had my mother back, that I finally had a chance to make things right, to make things better, to love each other in a way that we never had before. And it was being taken away from me. It was being taken away from her. She had a lot of resentment still in her life from her own tragedies that she hadn't really let go of. And there were times where she took it out on me. There were times where she screamed at me. There were times where I said, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. And then I came back to my heart and I balanced my emotions. And then I came back and said, I'm very sorry for saying that I'm not going anywhere, but I am going to go for a walk right now, but I'll be back in an hour or two. And maybe you should have a rest. And then when we come back, we can sit down over a cup of tea and we can move forward in a way that feels really good for both of us. That was very brave and very smart of you. I don't know where that innate wisdom came from at the time. I do remember going through this period with her, this period of time with her and my family. And there were these things that I did and these things that I said where sometimes I felt like I was this observer, like outside of myself, looking down on me and going, whoa, how do I know that? Where did I get that from? Like what what led me to, to do this thing, to come to this conclusion, to make this decision, to make this choice, to show up like this for my family? And I am so grateful that I did. Uh, my papa and my nanny, they're two people that I admire, I really value their opinion. I had this, I call it like my movie moment with my papa where we sat down and we were having a beer together. And he said, you really did it, kiddo. And I was surprised. I said, what? And he said, well, you moved out West in 2007 and and you really did it. 
you became the person that we always knew that you could be. And you've been this beacon of light for your mother and for the family (laughs) throughout all of this. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. I'm getting so choked up thinking about it. He's like, we're just so proud of you. And I'm like, that's the ultimate is having Papa proud of (laughs) you, right? (laughs) And so I was able to, to be this that I listened to that my intuition that I that I made choices to feel how I wanted to feel that I made all of these decisions as well to help other people feel really good during this awful time and the ripple effect that came from that was my bounce back rate so when I used to go into my depressive states Sometimes, Daniela, they would happen for a year at a time. Some of those states were when you and I were working together, but no one would know. So I would show up and I would hold it together and then come home and fall apart. And it was exhausting. Because of all of this work that I did and because of how I showed up, my bounce back rate was incredible with this. Yes, I experienced grief and through grief comes sadness, comes depression, comes anger, but it wouldn't take me down. It might've happened for a week. And then I was like, okay, it's time to get back to being me. And then it may have happened for a day and I would allow it. But then I was, okay, it's time for me to get back to being me. This isn't who my mom wants me to be. The gifts that came from it, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that we still exist even after we die. When she passed away, I was in the room with her in hospice because I knew it was her time. I had been up for over 24 hours. I didn't want her to be alone. She had had even though she was heavily medicated, she had these pockets, she had these moments where all of a sudden she would show up and it was her clear as a bell without a shadow of a doubt. My mother was there and she would do something like twirl her fingers around my hair. And she would look at me and say, I'm never, ever going to forget you ever. And then she said, you need a haircut. (laughs) Then it would bring us back to humor, right? But then she'd be gone. Or she'd jump out of bed and she was so frail, she should not have been standing up. So I'd jump and I'd hold her and she'd, she'd pat me on the back and say, just take me home, just take me home, honey. Or she would say, oh, this one broke me. And it may right now, which is okay. She came to and she said, Annie, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I clued in that she was having a hard time letting go. And I think that she held on for so long. I want to believe this. I'm choosing to believe this because she was working through her anger, her resentment, and her pain. She wanted to make sure she let it go before she moved on. So in that moment when she let go and I was in the room, I fell asleep for a fraction, like a couple minutes aunt, one of my aunts, who's a nurse, she was sleeping in the room with me at the time. The hospice nurse came in and I opened my eyes and I looked at her before the nurse even got to my mother. I said, she's gone. And the nurse checked her vitals and she said, she's right, honey, you should probably wake your aunt up. So I woke up my aunt, my grandparents and my 
other two aunts were in the waiting room. I just laid in bed with my mom for a good 30, 45 minutes sobbing. So I just held her. And then we all gathered and my grandparents hold her hands and then we circled around her. And I had came up with this prayer. I have no idea, Daniela, where it came from, but it was powerful. And I just had this conversation and said, mom, we're going to be okay. And you're going to be okay. Just keep going to the light. Everything that needs to be taken care of on earth, we will take care of it. We've got each other and it's okay for you to go. And you could feel her presence in the room. (laughs) All of us could. You could feel like angel wings, like surrounding our circle. And she was saying, thank you. (laughs) She's like, no, I've got you. Quit telling me what to do, lovely daughter (laughs) of mine. And I will stay with you for as long as I want. And she has. She really, truly has. When I came home after we had her celebration of life, we had one for her in New Brunswick. We had one for her in Ontario. And we really did celebrate. We had a bonfire, we had alcohol, and we had musicians. And my mom used to host these uh, really fun outdoor dinner parties, and everyone would wear fancy rain boots. It would be a celebration of spring. And everyone came to her celebration of life with their fancy rain boots to honor her, which was pretty cool. But when I came home, you know, reality set in that. Life is short. Life is fleeting. You don't have control over anything that happens to you. You have control over how you react to it. And that's what's going to determine your positive outcome. My reaction to this was going to be major life changes. I had to leave my job. I wanted to go back to um, entrepreneurship. I'm a serial entrepreneur by heart. My first business, I was 16 years old, making macrame everything, macrame necklaces and hemp plant hangers and dog leashes. And I just wanted to go back to being the creator of my own life. I wanted to call all that power back to me. I was really grieving though, and I had lost all my creativity. So I had sent out an email to my closest friends and to my closest colleagues. And I said, what do you think are my skills and my strengths? And then I created a list myself. And luckily, they were all the same, same. They said, you're a leader, you empower, you inspire, you're a mentor, you teach, and you do so with so much light. And you're the spiritual person that a lot of people don't understand, but they really resonate with. And it's magnetic. And I was like, okay, now what do I do? So you came back and then you'd make some changes. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? So I became a licensed desire map facilitator, launched my own business, joined business online program. And I just started slowly developing my own circles for women. And I would gather women in circles in the forest on the patios of local restaurants and pubs, like like before they would open, we would gather in each other's homes. I started guiding people through this work, through this journey of really examining all areas of our life to create holistic happiness or holistic joy. So it isn't just about having this incredible job and this amazing career, but it is also about connecting to our essence and our spirituality on a regular basis and paying attention to body and wellness, you know, our rest and, 
and nourishment and fitness, giving ourselves space to be creative because creativity is a muscle as well. Providing our soul with opportunities to learn and expand and grow, to really look at the relationships that we hold in our lives and whether they are contributing to our joy and happiness or if they're taking away from it. So we look at all areas, ask ourselves, you know, what's not working? Because we can't, if we don't admit it, we can't change anything. I think when I first opened up the Desire Map book, I wasn't willing to do the work at the time because it was overwhelming. Like I really looked at all areas of my life and it was overwhelming to think of all the changes that I had to make. But then instead of in this doom and gloom and, oh my gosh, I can't do this. It it is about looking at what we're grateful for because there's so much abundance in our lives. There are so many opportunities that are presented to us. The universe is happening for us, not to us. We are always being gifted these spiritual assignments. That's what I call them. These spiritual assignments, these opportunities for expansion and for growth to just keep being that higher, more authentic version of ourselves. Once I clued into that for myself, these tiny steps lead to giant leaps. And I love sharing with people, reminding them that if you just make small improvements by 1% every day, that in a year, you will have improved by 365%. Awesome. I remember I did the desire map in 2014. I did it with a friend of ours, Victoria. She used to work for Big Brothers. And it was really helpful. I learned a lot about how important it is to focus on the feelings more into like what you want. And that has guided me for for a long time. So you are now a coach for the desire map. Yeah. So I'm going on, oh gosh, it's my sixth year. I have worked with hundreds and hundreds of people. I've desire mapped couples, teens. I even worked with the ladies dragon boat team. I've worked in nonprofits. I've worked with businesses and corporations. When I first started though, I said to a girlfriend, Danielle Laporte is going to pay me someday. I was being like maybe a little cocky, but ultimately my goal at the time to feel how I wanted to feel was to be able to work with somebody like Danielle Laporte and be on her team. This whole process, right, is about flipping the switch when it comes to goal setting, like realizing that everything that we're seeking outside of ourselves is attached to a feeling. Mm -hmm. One of my feelings is I am kind of a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it because it's playful. It's fun. It reminds me of this movie, um, Anchorman with Will Ferrell. He approaches this woman in the movie, the way he approaches her, he says, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. And she like rolls her eyes at him and does not go out on a date with him right away. It keeps humor in my work. It keeps play in my work. And it also keeps me humble. Really? That doesn't sound humble with that. (laughs) (laughs) I I always have to explain it to people. I'm like, I'm not a narcissist. This isn't about me. And that's why I say kind of a big deal. What it does for me is it reminds me to stop playing small. That's what it is. So in that moment, I was like, I'm kind of a big deal. I'm going to be such a facilitator of this work. I am going to be an incredible guide, a beacon of light, just like I was for my mother, for so many people to guide them through this process, to help them understand that core feelings are the foundation for our compass and our decision-making, understanding and knowing how it is that we want to feel, developing nourishing thought forms to honor and support that, and most importantly, how to set intentional actions to make sure that we're sending those vibrations out into the universe. So that way we can manifest a handcrafted life we love. 
That was in 2015. In 2019, I was gifted the opportunity to be on Daniel Laporte's team, and I became a Desire Map for business coach for 600 Desire Map facilitators all over the world. And now I am a part of her bridge team. We are shifting, expanding, morphing, growing. So the Desire Map has incredible, amazing foundational components that have served so many for so long, but there's more to it. So you are kind of a big deal. Uh, yes. <laughs> With humility, as I said, I definitely aim to be humble in this process. And, and when I say I'm kind of a big deal, it's also because everybody that I work with, I want them to feel like they're kind of a big deal in this life too, because they are. Yeah. We each have unique gifts, unique talents, strengths that only you have. And the world needs it now more than ever. And I wouldn't be here talking to you about these things if I didn't go through that experience with my mother. Awesome. And so can you give me a summary again of the tools to overcome hardship? Mm, know how it is that you want to feel. Come from that place. Utilize the intelligence of your heart. Create space to have conversations with that powerful place and, and ask your heart how it is that it wants to feel. Choose those core feelings. Know that your thoughts are going to challenge you. They're going to hold you back. So you have to work on strengthening that relationship with your heart and your mind and develop new stories that will serve how it is that you want to feel. And then ask yourself in every moment, in each day, each week, each month, each year, based on how you want to feel, what are the intentional actions that you're going to make to send those feelings out into the world? And what are the intentional actions that you're going to make to make sure that you receive when it comes back to you threefold, tenfold, twentyfold? Wonderful. Very eloquently said. I can only thank you a million times for your vulnerability. This was a tough conversation. I have no idea how you kept it all together. I admire you for, for sharing it with us. Thank you, Daniela. Again, I really appreciate it. And I can't thank you enough for providing me this space and this opportunity to share this message with the world. Thank you. I am Daniela Stockflet Menis. You were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Follow this story and many others on Instagram at bhas.podcast. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto.